0: The Slaughter and May podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest in the Slaughter and May podcast series. I'm Megan Sparber, PSL Counsel in the Restructuring Team at Slaughter and May, and I'm here today with Andrew Jolly, who's head of the risk team, and Ian Johnson, head of the restructuring and insolvency team at Slaughter and May, to reflect on what they're seeing in the market at the moment and consider how businesses can be prepared for whatever lies ahead. The COVID-19 pandemic has obviously affected and disrupted large swathes of the economy. But COVID-related restrictions, the extraordinary measures that we were seeing on businesses have eased significantly and the vaccination programme is bedding down and the economy is is largely open for business again. We haven't seen a huge wave of restructurings and insolvencies, even with several curveballs, perhaps most notably the significant disruption to the supply chains that we're seeing at the moment but government support is winding down and temporary protections which were preventing creditors from taking um, action against um, debtors are being withdrawn, with some notable exceptions which still apply to um, commercial landlords. Ian, can you tell us what you're seeing in the market at the moment? Are businesses struggling or are they getting back on their feet?
1: So the, the overwhelming trend is that most businesses are surviving and have come through the pandemic in in reasonable shape, albeit in many cases, increased levels of debt and liabilities. And the the consensus view is that the market as a whole is pretty quiet and quieter than people might expect, given the headwinds that um, the sectors have faced. And the sectors that we saw being most active during the pandemic were sectors that were challenged anyway, and had issues pre-pandemic, including the oil and gas sector, because of challenges with either having too much debt or oil price uh, related issues, and businesses that, that touched the consumer in some way where their challenges were exacerbated by the pandemic, such as retail, gyms businesses, and some of the smaller airlines. But the overall sense is that we haven't seen a trend of more large-scale restructurings to come in the near term. And I'll hand over to Andrew to provide his perspective on the corporate activity that has stemmed the flow of uh, more
2: full-blown restructurings. Thanks, Ian. And I think, yeah, that's right. I think from the corporate side, you know, immediately at the onset of the kind of pandemic, so going back 18 months or so, you know, many companies rightly... Thought that they would need to access new capital and have liquidity constraints and concerns, etc., and they were able to access it, whether that be through the debt markets or uh, through the equity markets by raising new equity share capital. Consequently, kind of well, throughout the year you know, ensuing period, then you know, government support, stakeholder support, that ongoing liquidity in the market kind of has enabled companies to including across all sorts of sectors to continue without needing any kind of restructuring activity and to survive and in some cases prosper, which is part of the increased market confidence. As we get to now, and as Megan, you kind of indicated at the start, as those government schemes start to be turned off, there are other economic headwinds, then we are, I think all of us begin to see a slight change in confidence across business again across lots of different industry sectors uh, and seeing kind of things like the point that you mentioned as in terms of consequences of distress in the in the supply chain uh, begin to see signs of inflation obviously and you know, whether it be a temporary issue or otherwise kind of labor shortages all of which kind of will will kind of impact or begin to impact kind of businesses across various sectors.
0: So there are reasons to be optimistic, but there are some notes of caution that I'm hearing from, from both of you about the possibility of further disruption. And obviously boards and financial, legal and commercial functions within businesses have been under pressure to identify and, and where possible to mitigate potential risks. But for a long time, that's, that's not new. But since the start of the pandemic, it's been much more challenging to predict what lies ahead. Andrew, how can businesses be proactive in their approach to risk management?
2: I think if businesses are proactive in their approach to risk management, this is not new, risk is, risks change, but the fundamentals do not. And companies look kind of at future strategy and economic and sector changes and developments and how they may affect them kind of on an ongoing basis and and need to find the time to do so effectively. It is part of normal board and kind of C-suite business, effectively. The pandemic has accelerated certain elements of of risk and certain behaviours in society, as we've seen, with a, and a push to kind of build back better. And so the risks may change, but how one deals with them and the framework one has in place or corporate should have in place to deal with them, i.e. the fundamentals kind of have not changed. And the key to risk is, Firstly, I think to realise that you know, the job of business or the role of corporates or you know, people involved in risk within kind of businesses is not to eliminate risk. That's impossible. It that should not be the aim. It's to you know, identify risks, understand risks, determine one's own appetite for them, i.e. one's own risk appetite, and then mitigate and manage them effectively. And that is true in relation to Risks that go to financial resilience and liquidity, etc., issues, which is the subject we're focusing on today, as it is other risks like kind of cyber or workplace accidents or incidents, etc. And so, first stage is identifying the risks businesses face, you know, ongoing process uh, reported in one's annual report. And those risks can be external, that generated internal ones, they could be structural, they could be inherent. They, it could be a bit like the the pandemic itself a big band very sudden risk it could be something that develops over time and that is true in relation to kind of financial resilience as much as anything else analyze and understand the risks and consequences of those risks materializing evaluate one's risk appetite and then seek to mitigate those risks you know in the financial in terms of financial resilience you know, with your know, appropriate, you know, capital and you know access to funds, etc. Quite sensible, straightforward stuff. And then managing those risks, thinking ahead as to where are the pinch points, what could go right, what could go wrong? If things go wrong, how would one deal with it? And plan ahead for those so that it is planned for should the worst happen, uh, rather than something new which has to be dealt with.
0: Not all crises can be avoided, and sometimes things don't go to plan, and that can have very significant consequences for businesses and their financial health. Ian, you work with companies who are experiencing a a wide range of challenges, uh, and that causes them different degrees of difficulty. Is financial distress something that businesses really can anticipate and plan for?
1: So uh, as Andrew touched on, the annual audit process is a process that forces boards and management teams to look ahead for the next 15 to 18 months to pick out material risks and uncertainties. And I think in the current environment, it's even more important to sort of reflect on what what is needed for for the period ahead and to try and spot things before options become more limited. So a couple of examples, if as part of your review of your business plan and the year ahead, you know that you need to do a significant refinancing, an equity raise, or achieve an outcome on a significant piece of litigation, or get disposals executed, then what it is important to Wargame is what what is plan B or plan C, if, if any of those routes that are key to your business viability are not possible. And in times of distress, it does mean that groups do need to look at their group structure more on a company-by-company basis to look at whether actually the disposal or the taking on of more debt is right for the relevant company. And what we would say in terms of process, it is important to sort of think about contingency plans at an early stage, identify the risks and potential problems and think about what, what could either lead them to be more of an issue and understand as well as the corporate structure, um, the other linkages within the group. So the financing arrangements, the key commercial contracts, if an event doesn't go the right way, does it have other consequences under covenants or other arrangements that lead to other issues that might need to be managed? And what are the most appropriate backup plans Um, and we'll talk more about the cascade of options of those plans and do you have the right understanding of those options and the right amount of time in order to execute them in an orderly way? And do you have the right backup from the right management team and advisors to see you through those challenges? So using not just the audit cycle, but on an ongoing basis, discipline around stress testing risks and ways to manage them um, is is a key lessons learned.
0: A company facing financial challenges is probably going to have a range of strategies that it can consider and and the ones that will be most relevant will be presumably determined by a number of variables, what the capital structure looks like, where the assets are and the material contracts, but also how imminent the problem is and, and how significant and severe it is. For businesses that have identified that there is a challenge or a risk ahead, but they've still got plenty of runway, what options are likely to be considered as a first port of call, Andrew?
2: Good, good question. I think, as Ian and you both touched on, there's a it's kind of a menu. And you know, managing actual or potential financial difficulties, okay, first of all, isn't a linear exercise. And B, in part at least in a steady state phase is something which needs to fit in with wider business plans effectively. Yeah, and there are a funnel of options that you know, can be considered you know, depending on the circumstances. And so there's no right order, but broadly, I think a business might think of kind of divestment or you know, sale of material assets. Yeah, may not be possible, but you know, balance a balance sheet restructuring to perhaps dispose of non-core assets. The availability of that will obviously depend on the price one might get for one's non-core assets or the ability to, you know, any interest in the market to buy them, but of course that would both, A, raise cash, which is done, one can get a proper price for them, but also reduce funding requirements. You know, secondly, and this is not exclusively, these can often be done in combination, of course, is looking at financing options, whether it be to amend and extend existing bank debt or look at other kind of debt, you know, tapping the bond markets or you know, other forms of debt like convertible bonds, which would, you know, dilute the equity. And then thirdly, you know, shareholder support, you know, as I touched on earlier, as companies did at the the start of the pandemic, you know, tapping the equity markets through an equity raise. You know, effectively to right size the capital structure of the group for the envisaged kind of financial kind of difficulties that may be perceived to be on the horizon or maybe forthcoming.
0: So a number of options that mm. you might consider up front. If we're looking further down the funnel or the list of options where there might be a need to consider some form of fundamental restructuring, I'm conscious there were some permanent new additions to the restructuring toolkit that were added in June last year um, by the government at the same time as they were introducing temporary measures to help um, businesses facing the effects of the pandemic. But these were reforms that had been in the pipeline for a long time um, and were expected to be quite game-changing. Ian, how do businesses navigate this extended list of options with these these new procedures that they could be considering?
1: The the list of options... um is informed by both the the business plan, the performance of the relevant group and director's duties. So the the menu that Andrew has stepped through are the more conventional means where your duties as a board are firmly pointing towards shareholders. And as you go down the menu, you're maybe thinking of options that address debt, if you might have too much debt and deal with creditors and have regard to their interests, which is where your duties can shift in times of more financial difficulty or or risk of insolvency. So if you're moving lower down the options, it's usually because you've concluded that the more conventional options are either not available or not sufficient to address the capital structure. But as you get lower down that menu, to get agreement of all parties might be quite difficult. So doing a more fundamental extension of debt, if not everyone is on board in a complex capital structure can be challenging. So as you alluded to, we do have tools in order to ensure agreement can be reached with creditors and other parties without getting 100% of people on board. Um, And that has always included in the UK schemes of arrangement and CVAs. But as you say, we now, um, during the pandemic, had introduced a new court-based restructuring plan process that allows companies to cram down creditors, even if um, not all of the classes in the restructuring are on board. So if there are different, different types of creditors who are being asked to um, give something up, some form of compromise, then it is possible to do that just, for example, with your financial creditors without the support of your trade creditors or your landlords. So examples include... Virgin Active, a gyms business during the pandemic, who used the restructuring plan successfully to address um, their financing arrangements, but to also address operational costs as well by involving landlords in that structure. And I think as we go through um, this menu of options, the good thing is for companies and boards is that there are powerful tools that mean that the, the views of the majority can help a company address issues with its capital structure and also um, we've got more flexibility now to attempt operational restructurings as well as financial ones in a way that has a bit more flexibility than we had when we just had the Companies Act scheme of arrangement.
0: You've worked on a diverse range of situations and seen um, economic cycles in which the risks that businesses businesses have faced have been really varied. What are the key learning points that you've identified um, for businesses who want to get ahead of any potential problems, Ian?
1: So I think the key message that I'd like people to take away is the importance of proportionate parallel planning. Um, If you do need to adjust the path that you're on, it, it will take time to pivot. And the more planning and advanced work that's been carried out, the more orderly that will be. So a couple of examples, the court-based process that I talked about previously, to negotiate with stakeholders, creditors and others um, usually will take a minimum of two to three months. And to actually implement through a court process, you're generally looking at around two months uh, given court hearings required and the timeline. All of that means in total at least four to five months to, to go through a restructuring that might require that sort of process which takes time and could be very public. So the more planning that is done in advance, if you do find as a business that you do need to move from a conventional capital raise or a key disposal that isn't successful to another form of solution, then keeping in the background some level of parallel planning rather than just going sequentially to the next option can mean you'll be in a better place to execute any fallback plans more smoothly.
2: Yeah, I fully agree with that. I think there'll be a theme here which is planning, but I think there can be a reticence, from my experience, a, a reluctance in some cases to think about the contingency planning because there's a faith in plan A and there's a desire to do plan A, whether that be a new debt or an equity raise or a disposal. But none of those kind of three kind of solutions can be guaranteed and so one does need to think about other options and contingency plan and then within that it is the planning point and I'd pick up kind of two subsidiary points one is kind of understanding the triggers uh, at which point thoughts may need to switch or at what time issues may you know come more strongly to the f- to the fore and part of that is through the annual audit processes he had mentioned and you know thinking about going concern, but also kind of more often than that, you know, forward cash flows and looking at business plans against them, ability to meet kind of one's kind of financial covenants when they're tested, et cetera. That's one point. And the second point in the planning is to, it's not an area of risk where one can say war game it in the way one could with say cyber, but to, to think and plan who will your advisors be? You know it is an area where specialist advisory support is helpful for two reasons one, the specialist support, and also because you know, management and the business have a day job and plan A to seek to execute, and so the resource is important, but also maintaining confidentiality. I think people are slightly reticent to think about contingency planning because there's a risk that if you know, it becomes known, you know, or uh, knowledge that restructuring planning is ongoing, then people will think, well, that's what the business believes will be the outcome, and therefore not see it as the contingency it is, and therefore a risk that it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So even at a basic level, one wants to think about, well, how would we do our contingency planning, and in a way that enables us to have the right resources to continue the business and plan A and also access the information we need while maintaining strict confidentiality around it, because
0: that's important. So planning is absolutely key. And although the resilience that we're seeing in the market at the moment is promising, there is merit in being well prepared for things to shift and being agile in your um, in your risk identification and management policies. No crystal balls, no one size fits all solutions. But it should be possible to have well-laid plans in place that should maximise the options available to manage the changes that lie ahead. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.